Welcome back, listeners, to another edition of All Things Bama, powered by BamaCentral.com. This is your host, Tyler Martin, and I am joined today by actually two guests. For the first bit of the episode, the first part, it will be Kerry Clark of BamaCentral.com, and then for the second part, it will be Corey Sanning of Vol Maven. He is he covers the Tennessee Volunteers for our our, our sister site, um, and. He covers all things volunteers, football, basketball, and I have a conversation with him just about this week's matchup, the third Saturday in October. But first, Kerry, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing great. We had a long day today, brother. We, we did. We did. It was, it was a fun day, though, at SEC Tip-Off 20. Uh, SEC, I mean, basketball season's around the corner. SEC basketball is coming up. It's exciting times. But first, Kerry, want to dive into – just, just your takeaways uh, from 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 what you heard today, from what coaches around the SEC were saying, from what Nate Oates said, what some of the players said. What was what were a couple things that caught your eye? I think one thing that caught my eye is that uh, people expect Alabama to have a good team this year, based on the fact that they've got some key players returning, like Kyrie Lewis, like Herbert Jones, like John Petty, and uh, they've got some pretty good players coming in. Uh, people like Beetle Bolden, and if they can get him eligible, Javon Quinterly. But the consensus was that Alabama is is going to be a team to be reckoned with, especially in the backcourt. Uh, several coaches and several players had some very good things to say about uh, Lewis and Petty in particular. Yeah, and, and for me, th- this Alabama team already is having to deal with some injuries to James Rojas and Juwan Gary, two guys who play really similar positions. And it, it's next man up. And Nate Oates, he mentioned that today. You know, he's, he said we're going to throw – you know, he said they might go play, play small. They might play Herb at the four. They might even pay, play John Petty there. So that will definitely be something to note, something to watch. But for me, uh, you know, this Alabama team is the, – the, the first team, obviously, under the Nate Oates era. But he's building a new culture here. He's building a culture of – you know, high intense practices, you know, a culture of discipline, a culture of pride and just effort and hard work. And I think he's really going to put out a product there that Alabama fans and, you know, people who cover the team are going to enjoy watching. I don't, you know, the days of Alabama scoring 50, 60 points a game are over. You know, at Nate Oates' Buffalo squad, they averaged, you know, 80 some odd points each year he was there. And it's highest in the NCAA for some of those years. And I think that's exciting. I think, you know, Alabama fans, and people cover them can get behind this. This is going to be a good product of basketball. And one of the things Carl Lewis mentioned today uh, when he was doing one-on-one interviews was that he really enjoys this style of play, and he really feels like that as a point guard, this style of play suits him perfectly. And uh, one of the things Coach Oates mentioned was he wants the players on the Alabama team to regain their love for basketball, even at practice. And he wants to see max effort every day at practice and when practice first started, he wasn't really seeing that. But I hear, he says these last couple of days have been their best two practices yet, which means that players are buying in, players are giving what he considers max effort. And uh, I thought it was especially telling that, you know, he challenged John Petty to work on his rebounding. And he said John Petty, a junior guard from Huntsville, was the leading rebounder at practice today. Yeah, that was that was definitely interesting to hear. It was It was kind of shocking just given the consistency – John Petty in his first two years has played on the boards and on the defensive side of the ball, so that that was shocking to hear. But you know he he he, he you know it's funny. He 
he said in the in the in his in one of his in one of the answers he gave to one of the questions today was you know how how did this team last year beat Kentucky in the first game of the season in SEC play and then finish where they finished and the answer to that was consistency was not giving it a hundred percent all the time and Nate Oates is a guy like Saban who will demand that from his players each and every time they get on the court. Yeah, another thing he did not mention today, but I keep hearing is the effectiveness of the strength coach he brought in from Buffalo, Mike Snowden, the former Navy SEAL. Uh, Alabama lost a lot of games last year, Tyler, in the last three or four minutes because they were uh, they were out of they were out of shape. Uh, they weren't in basketball condition. Even toward the end of the year, there were two or three games they lost that cost them the NCAA tournament. I'm talking about games they had leads in. And with this ex-Navy SEAL, Mike Snowden, running strength and conditioning now for basketball, uh, I feel like that, that that could actually be the difference this year. Yeah, that was something that any time a reporter would ask for you know his opinion on a certain player, Nate would say, oh, he's in great shape. And he talked about JV and Davis, for example. He lost 30 pounds. They talked about, you know, Kyra, oh, he's in great shape. Oh, Herb's in the best shape of his life. So that is something that means a lot to Nate Oates' program because of the, the, the play style. Because Kyra mentioned uh, in one of the questions I asked him about the offense, he said that they want to play really fast and they want to get a shot up when they have the ball in within, within seven seconds of the shot clock. And then they want to get back and they want to hustle back, get back on defense, and just play an up and down game with their opponents. Yeah, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And they've got some talented players. And if, if they can finally get a, a – a ruling on the waiver for Javon Quinley, the Villanova transfer guard, who's only a sophomore this year and who can fill it up. Uh, they're going to be a really, really fun team to watch. Alabama was projected to finish sixth in the SEC by the media. Kentucky was pr- projected to win the league with Florida coming in second. And Kyra Lewis was projected to make all SEC second team at SEC tip-off 20. So be on the lookout, listeners, on BamCentral.com in the next couple of days for some features on Herb, on Kyra, on Nate Oates, just all the coverage from Media Days. But moving off of basketball, Kerry, let's briefly talk about Alabama's win in football over Texas A&M, 40-27. And, Kerry, let's start with this. Let's start with the defense. The defensive line looked great on, on Saturday. Christian Barmore made an impact. Terrell Lewis, they had five sacks. What did you notice on the defensive side of the ball that was different this week? Pressure on the quarterback. It was more consistent, and I think it was because of a healthy Terrell Lewis. He had two sacks. He also had two hurries, and uh, there were a total of 20, 20, 21 times during the game that that some kind of uh, lick was put on Kellen Mond, the A&M quarterback. So I guarantee you he probably had a hard time getting out of bed Sunday morning. but Patrell Lewis played great. Uh, it, it was hard not to to notice Barmore. Uh, Christian Barmore is slowly but surely becoming an impact player on the Alabama defense. And this goes back to the Southern Miss game when he made two plays near the end of the game to keep the Golden Eagles out of the end zone. Uh, he made a couple of great stops down in the red zone. And his entire defensive line teammates from the D-line room ran out on the field when the clock expired to congratulate Christian. I think that gave him the confidence to turn it up in practice. You know, Christian made scout team defensive player of the week nine times last year when he was redshirting. And it's finally starting to translate 
onto the field at practice and at game days. And he, this guy, 6'5", 3'10", and explosive. And, and uh, it was pretty funny when he got his first career sack. Uh, Raekwon Davis said earlier this week that he was literally in tears. He didn't, he didn't know what to think. He was so happy. And that's the kind of stuff you love to see in college football. Yeah, and then on offense, you know, Devontae Smith had 100 – he had 99 receiving yards on seven catches and a touchdown. Tua had another impressive game. He did throw his first pick. Um, it, was a, it was a red zone turnover. But also, I, I just want to spotlight Jalen Waddle here. You know, he was near his hometown. He's from Houston playing in the Lone Star State. And he had a big game in the special teams area. And he had uh, 48 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown on three catches. And so just a, just a big day from Jalen Waddle. Yeah, you know, he's uh, – I, I call him David Palmer with speed. Uh, Palmer was a guy that played back in the 90s for Gene Stallings, a receiver that he could cut on a dime and give you a nickel change, but he wasn't the fastest guy around. He ran about a 4.6. Well, Jalen Waddle runs closer to a 4.4, four. and uh, I've been waiting for him to have a breakout game, and uh, it was pretty cool to see him do it in his home state of Texas. Uh, everybody knows how good Jalen Waddle is. And you know, Tyler, with Devontae Smith having to sit out the first half of this week's game against Tennessee, I'm looking for more big things this Saturday night from Jalen Waddle. Yeah, it's just you, you never know with the Alabama receiving core who is going to step up each Saturday. It could be Jerry Judy. It could be Jalen Waddle. could be Henry Ruggs. could be Devontae. Well, not for the first half of this game, at least. But you just you just never know. You never know. Tua, he's, you know, he gets the ball into different receivers. And, you know, uh, after this game, it was about if if you're not going to, you know, we're going to keep running these slants until teams stop it. And it was a challenge to the rest of the SEC and to the nation. Hey, we believe our skill guys are better than yours, and we're going to keep running the same plays. And if you can't stop them, you can't stop them. Yeah, and, and Tua's probably getting tired by now of people asking him about the slant pattern. And even some people criticizing him, saying he was racking up stats by throwing – five-yard slants that people were taking 70 more yards to the end zone. And his response was, you know, if you don't like it, stop it. You know, show us you can stop it and we'll throw something different. But one of the things Tua has really improved on this year is he's taking what the defense gives him and he's reading the defense better than he did last year. So if the defense lines up in a manner that allows the slant pass, that's what they're going to get, particularly on RPOs. When Tua sticks the ball into the running back's belly, and sees that uh, there's too many people in the box to run the ball and pulls it out, his first read is a slant. And, you know, if Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, Jerry Chitty, whoever it is, catches a slant and runs it all the way to the house, well, I mean, that's touchdown Alabama. Criticize it all you like. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of people that have been saying, well, Alabama needs to work more on uh, ball possession. The defense is playing too many snaps. But you can't tell kids to go out there and not try to score you got to try to outscore the opponent. You know, LSU is going to score a lot of points on a lot of people this year down the road, and they're coming to Tuscaloosa. And you know what? If you got to beat them 60-40, that's what you got to do. And one more, one more note on this game. Najee Harris had 20 carries for 114 yards, and it is only his, I believe, his third career 100-yard rushing game. So it was another big day from him on the ground. But it, it was shocking, too, that he got 20 carries. Because, I mean, that's the, that's the most carries he's had all, in a game all season. Probably they're testing to make sure that he's got what it takes to do the same kind of thing against the LSUs and the Auburns and the Georgias of the world, Tyler. And uh, one of the reasons that he had 
over 100 yards uh, against A&M was this. It was the first time all season that the best five players on the offensive line started and played the majority of the game together. And uh, Landon Dickerson was at center, which allowed Cornbread, Deontay Brown, to play guard. And uh, they were opening up better and bigger holes than they have been as a line over the course of this season. And that led directly to the success that Najee Harris had. It's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward with the offensive line. You know, really getting into position toward the latter part of the season where the, the bigger the games get bigger and bigger each week. And this week, Kerry, it's, it's one of my favorite weeks just in college football, the third Saturday in October, Alabama-Tennessee, one of the most historic rivalries in all of college football. And I, you know, I brought you on this week to kind of just, you know, go back and look at some past matchups and because you've covered the team for a while. So, Kerry, just, just give me a couple games in your mind that have been really historic and iconic for you between the two schools. Well, I'll be happy to. And you have to understand, I've been following Alabama football since the mid-'70s. So I'm going to start off with a game that Alabama actually lost. Uh, it, it was in Knoxville. It was 1982. It was Paul Bear Bryant's last season at the helm. We didn't know that at the time, but it was. And Alabama was still in the wishbone for the final year. And Alabama went to Knoxville and just ran up against the buzzsaw. The place was packed. Uh, there were people all over town because the World's Fair was in Knoxville that year. And Alabama ended up losing a very close game. Uh, it was something like 35 to 34, but it was really close. But Alabama lost. It was one of four games they lost that year. And uh, after the game, the Tennessee fans were so ecstatic because it had been a while since they'd beaten Alabama that they were, like, turning cars over outside the stadium uh, and, you know, just very raucous and loud and crazy. And uh, four years later, I went back and watched Alabama in 1986 under Ray Perkins, uh, his final year, and a running back named Bobby Humphrey ran a play called Toss 28 pretty much the whole game, and Tennessee never stopped it. Uh, he had over 200 yards rushing, and Alabama won that game. That was very enjoyable to watch. 1990, uh, Alabama got off to a really tough start under Gene Stallings. Lost the first three games they played. It's his first year. Uh, Alabama went up to Knoxville. No one gave Alabama a chance to win this game in 1990. Because Tennessee had a pretty good team. Alabama ended up winning 9-6 to uh, after Stacey Harrison, a defensive back from Atlanta, blocked the field goal with his face mask, and it rolled back about 30 yards, and Alabama recovered it almost in field goal range, ran a couple running plays, sent Philip Doyle out there to kick a 47-yarder to win the game 9-6. It was a huge upset, and it was just a few days after Lee Corso had compared Alabama to a high school team because of their bad start under Gene Stallings. So that, that win in Knoxville turned around the Gene Stallings era. And then, of course, uh, one that we all remember from 2009, they call it Rocky Block. Uh, Mount Cody, Terrence Cody, the big nose guard, uh, storms in there to block a field goal. Uh, and it was the second block field goal for Alabama that day as they win at, at home in 2009 to preserve their unbeaten season. And it was a game that propelled Alabama to the national championship because that year uh, Alabama would not have been selected uh, for the BCS championship had they lost the Tennessee game. Uh, one of the ironies about that game in 2009 is it was uh, the one year that Lane Kiffin, was, uh, who would later be Alabama's offensive coordinator, it was one year he was head coach at Tennessee, and he did a great job coaching against Alabama that day. 
there was a play where he had a pass thrown to the tight end to put them in, in range for the winning field goal. And for some reason, Alabama had Marcel Darling was trying to cover the tight end, which was crazy. I still haven't figured that out. But uh, the tight end was open, caught the ball. Tennessee's in position to kick the winning field goal. There's Cody Storms in there to block it on the last play of the game and save Alabama's season. And the irony about those two blocked field goals that year, 2009, was that Tennessee's kicker was playing with an, an injured growing muscle, uh, a strained growing, but he was still trying to kick. And it affected his lift, and uh, the lack of lift on those two kicks was what caused them to uh, to be blocked. And uh, so, you know, Alabama was fortunate that day. I was uh, walking to the car with another rider, uh, Rodney Orkite Insider, and it was about a 10 or 15-minute walk from Bryant Dean to the car after, after we finished riding. And about every three or four minutes, one of us would turn to the other and say, we should have lost that game in 2009 because uh, Alabama got outcoached that day, Tyler. And uh, Terrence Cody, with that huge block field goal, saved what turned out to be the 2009 National Championship team season. I remember being in the seventh grade in 2009, sitting in the north end zone, the lower level north end zone of the, of the Rocky Block game. It was truly one of the loudest uh, times I've ever heard Bryant Denny. It was when, when he when he blocked that kick after Tennessee recovered the onside kick. Um, and we, uh, it, on the onside kick, I remember it. The, Julio Jones was on the hands team, and they completely eliminated Julio from the play. Um, it was a very smart move by the Volunteers. They completely took him all, all out of the play on the onside kick. And then they're lining up to kick it. You think it's over. And then you see Cody come in there and block it. It, like I said, it was one of the loudest times I'd ever heard Brian Denny. And there, there's a lot of conspiracies. You know, if, if Cody doesn't block it, then maybe Julio does. Because Julio was right behind him. Um, he's high, high as he can get in the air. So Julio might have blocked it as well. Cody didn't get to it. Great point. And there's photographic evidence of that very fact. Uh, Julio probably would have blocked it, uh, even if the kicker was healthy. But the one he missed earlier in the game, or got blocked. In the game. I don't know that Julio would have blocked that one. But uh, yeah, and a lot of people said, well, uh, Terrence Cody should have been called for a penalty for taking his helmet off uh, to celebrate, but the clock had already hit zero by then, so there's no there's no penalty in that situation. Uh, yeah, that was a crazy day, and you're, you're correct about the noise. Uh, I was on the sidelines at the time of the block because, as you know, media gets to go on the field with about uh, five to seven minutes left in the game, and uh, I was standing there. I was standing there with my heart in my throat because I thought Tennessee was probably going to make the kick and, and ruin Alabama's chances for a title. But Mount Cody thought otherwise, and uh, he'll never be forgotten for that play. And, and one more Tennessee game, uh, Tennessee Alabama game I want to bring up before I get into my interview with Corey is the 2015 game. Um, Derrick Henry carried Alabama there at the end of that game. That was that was the closest Alabama Tennessee game in recent memory. Alabama obviously has dominated this series, winning 12 in a row. And they look to make it 13 on, on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. A little bit of a late start uh, for Crimson Tide and Volunteer fans. But the 2015 game, too, it was a nail-biter there at the end. Alabama getting a single-digit win there. Yeah, and you're right about Derrick Henry. Uh, he was the bell cow that whole season, but he was particularly the bell cow in that fourth quarter. Alabama just lined up and, and dared Tennessee to stop Derrick Henry, who would go on to win the Heisman that season. You know, Derrick Henry was the closest thing Alabama's ever had, Tyler, to a Herschel Walker-type back that Georgia, you know, the last time Georgia won a national championship in 1980. He was their star. He was only a freshman at that time. But uh, 
Alabama's never really had a back like Herschel Walker, but they did uh, during the time that, that Derrick Henry was on campus. And that final year he was there, his junior year, he was truly showcased, and there was no, no greater example of that than the fourth quarter of that Tennessee game, as you accurately pointed out. And thank you again, Kerry, for coming on, talking about the historic matchup between Alabama and Tennessee. It should be, you know, whether or not the teams, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the records are. Throw the records away. It's that kind of game. It's going to be a fun one at Bryant-Denny. So thank you again, Kerry, for coming on. Thank you for having me. And uh, I think we should probably do this again and let me reminisce about some uh, Iron Bowls of the past, the week of the Auburn game. That, that sounds like a plan, man. Well, thank you, Kerry, again. And now here is my interview with Corey Sanning of Ball Maven. Welcome back, listeners. And today, I am joined by Corey Sanning of Vol Maven. He is a part of the Sports Illustrated Maven family. He covers all things Tennessee, Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball. Corey, I'm so I'm so glad you joined us today on All Things Bama. No, thank oh, you so much for having me. It's definitely great to get myself ingratiated with uh, more of the Maven community. Yes. And, uh, Corey, we, we wanted you on here today just to talk about Tennessee football, just talk about the matchup with Alabama. So we wanted, we wanted Crimson Tide fans to really get familiar with the opponent this week, uh, which, which should be an exciting matchup on, on Saturday night. So, Corey, let's go and start off. Let's go ahead and introduce yourself because you've been around this Tennessee program for a while now. Absolutely. Well, hello, Alabama fans. My name is Corey Sanding, and I, like Tyler said, I've been covering Tennessee since I arrived on campus back in January of 2017 for the student paper. I've covered, uh, which is the UT Daily Beacon, I've covered 11 sports across campus. This is my third season covering football and will also be my third full season covering men's basketball. So uh, for uh, someone that's so young, I've definitely tried to ingratiate myself in athletics there. And I definitely try to have a, at least a not a little bit of a knowledge of what's going on, semblance of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and Corey, so let, let's start off with this season coming into to 2019. It was a rough start for the Volunteers. Uh, the first two weeks were, did not go as expected for Volunteer fans. Losses to Georgia State and BYU. But recently, the last two week, two weekends against Georgia and Mississippi State, uh, there, there's a lot of bright spots that have came out of these past two weeks. And I'm going to start with this. Why don't – just tell us what was the feeling after the BYU game going into uh, the Chattanooga game? Or I guess well, – yeah, the Chattanooga game. Well, I got to tell you, it's uh... – something that we didn't foresee coming even even as because I've pretty much removed myself from Tennessee fandom because I've literally only been to one game as a fan since I've been a student everything else has been in the press box or on the sideline but one thing I will tell you is the BYU game particularly I mean of course the Georgia State game stung for Tennessee fans because you definitely don't expect to come in and lose your quote-unquote tune-up game to a team that's out of your conference and like I said it was the last time the first time Tennessee had lost to a non-power five team since 2008 but that BYU game, I was on the sideline for for that final play where Alante Taylor got juke. Well, not final play, but for the when they gave up the 60-yard gain with less than 20 seconds to go, I believe going on ESPN's win probability index at that point, they had a 99.6% chance to win that game. BYU had no timeouts. They had to go at least 40 yards to get in somewhat of field goal range. The next thing you know, I'm posting a video and I look up and the receiver's charging at me to the end zone. I thought it was going to be a walk-off touchdown. Just to hear those groans in the crowd, to hear the silence overcome. Because it, it was about a 90,000 crowd. It was a night game. Just to hear that silence overcome Neyland Stadium, which is something you don't hear that often, was just telling. 
because at that point you were like, okay, this season is definitely not going to live up to the preseason expectations that we they had going into media days. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt in Hoover said that they had one of the best staffs in the country. And if you look at it on paper, it's very deep with T. Martin, Derek, guys like Derek Ansley, Jim Chaney on the staff. At that point, though, it was like, okay, you can put the first game on the coaches. Maybe they didn't have them ready. They, you know, maybe bought into the hype a little bit, listened to the outside noise. Then it comes to BYU, and the coaches do everything right to get them prepared, and then all of a sudden they blow a game that they should have won. So shocking to say the least, but I guess Tennessee fans are used to being disappointed over the past decade, decade and a half. So there was a bit of ease of the tension relatively quickly, more than you'd expect. Yeah, and then also there were you, know, you had Bryce Thompson, one of the DBs, and then mm-hmm. Jeremy Banks, linebackers, you know, dealing with some off-the-field issues as well. Uh, why don't you just briefly give us a summary of that and, and if those have been resolved? Well, the, the well the Bryce Thompson situation uh, occurred about uh, early September. We got a report. I actually woke up about 7 in the morning on Saturday to a notification from – because at the time I was still working for the student paper from my editor – and WATE, which is one of the ABC affiliate here in Knoxville, had reported that he was in the Knox County general population. So as, as soon as I get on Twitter, you know, a boat, their story is posted from the Knoxville News Sentinel. And yes, he, there was an incident at Stokely Hall, which is the, if for those who aren't familiar with Tennessee campus, Stokely Hall is the nicest dorm. on. It's in smack dab in the middle of campus. It's literally right next to the Anderson Training Center. It's where all the athletes stay. And apparently... Bryce Thompson's girlfriend of four years, they had gotten into a heated verbal altercation that ended up a gate was ripped off its hinges and damaged uh, by the time the campus police got there. But according to five witnesses, three said that he would he verbally said he would slap the, you know, expletive out of the woman. And two other witnesses said that they heard him say he would shoot up the school. So he faced a felt a misdemeanor charge of domestic assault. The woman went and testified on his behalf about two weeks later on his court date. Now the charge has been dismissed, and Bryce Thompson's reinstated. He was suspended indefinitely for the time being, but he has since been reinstated. And as you saw, he had a big game on Saturday against Mississippi State. And the Jeremy Banks situation sort of took on a whole new life of its own once the TMZ footage was released, because at first, we, you know, you woke up to a report that he had been in jail, but he hadn't been in, you know, he was released with Bond the next morning. So it was rather qu- quicker than the Bryce Thompson situation. But then TMZ gets their hands on the cut police cam footage, which clearly shows him cursing at the officers, saying where I'm from in Memphis, we shoot at police. I don't, you know, I can't even probably name to you. I could probably name to you the cuss words that he didn't use before I can name to you ones that he did use towards those officers. So that definitely wasn't good. And then we get when SEC Nation comes for the Georgia game, I'm sitting there waiting to go into the set to, you know, talk to Tebow, McGee and Spears and get a note, get an email from Zach Stipe, who's the media relations uh, football director of communications here at Tennessee. It was a statement from Jeremy Pruitt. And it said he had decided to release Jeremy Banks from the team based on new information that he had acquired. And for those who haven't seen that TMZ video, the officers call Jeremy Pruitt at the insistence of Jeremy Banks at about 3.30 in the morning. You can clearly see he doesn't have his head on straight at first because he had been woken up to the call, but clearly it wasn't a situation that was handled right, I don't think, from either end. Jeremy Pruitt was complaining because he wasn't made aware of the situation, and he said he had, you know, at the four places he had been before, none of this crap had pretty much this stuff had ever happened, and... 
and once it came out the report that Jeremy Banks had threatened a woman and basically had assaulted her, he was dismissed from the team. So Bryce Thompson reinstated. Jeremy Banks is dismissed. I doubt that'll change anytime soon. I saw, I know I saw him on campus yesterday walking around with the same grill and everything that made him famous on TMZ. But no, the I think that I think there was a little confusion and mishandling of those situations. I think the coaching staff needs to find a way to be more on top of those things. But at the end of the day, the right decision was made in terms of Jeremy Banks. Bryce Thompson, well, I guess it depends on who you ask around here if you just feel the right decision was made there. But he is on the team, and there's nothing that anyone, including myself, can do about it now. So Jeremy Pruitt's first year, you know, five and seven, had a, had a chance to be bowl eligible at the end of uh, 2018 mm-hmm. with the, you know, they lost to Vanderbilt. And then coming mm-hmm. into this year, it was about, you know, building off of that. And so for the first couple of weeks, you know, dealing with two losses, you didn't, you didn't expect to happen in the off the field issues. But let's talk about the last, last couple games for, for Tennessee. You had the first half of the Georgia game, which I, I, I feel like they shocked a lot of people in the country. And I know including Georgia, myself. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know Georgia pulled away late, but last week against Mississippi state, once again, they proved a lot of people wrong, and they pulled out that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, like you just said, it's been shocking to see because, I mean, well, I, I guess I can say this. With throwing Brian Maurer in there, the second half of the Florida game, I mean, by the time that happened, that game was pretty well over. He made some nice throws, but he also, you know, he's a true freshman, so of course you see those questionable reads. But then he comes out against Georgia, and I guess he just didn't feel any expectations to play well or not because, I mean, you throw a true freshman in against a third-ranked team in the country at the time, a team that everyone thought would contend for a national championship, you know, with the Clemsons and the Alabamas and potentially the Ohio States. But, and like you said, he threw for 205 yards in the first half. Tennessee had a lead at one point, at two points in that game. And it was shocking to see, Good, I mean, pleasantly shocking if you're uh, covering Tennessee and if you're a Vols fan. And then, of course, you know, Georgia took a, pulled away in the second half. It's sort of what we expected. I predicted that that game would end 45 to 7. 40, I'll take 43 to 14 as being close enough. But then you come out against Mississippi State. And, of course, you know, the Bulldogs come in as the favorite. They had a better record. They had, you know, shown throughout their first five games that they were obviously the product on the field was better than what Tennessee and Pruitt were getting. But the defense, man, the defense just came out with a different level of energy, something that I hadn't seen all season. In fact, I mean, if there's one thing positive we can say about Jeremy Pruitt and his staff this year is that even I mean, even in the BYU game, they had their he had his defense. He and Derek Ansley had that defense ready. I mean, of course, at the end, Alante Taylor makes a even though he's a sophomore, he makes a freshman mistake and get lets the receiver get right behind him. I'm not sure what he was thinking there. And, you know, he's been much maligned for that since then. And I don't think I'll give him any quite any more heat than he deserves. But no, it was definitely pleasantly surprising to see them come out and play with that intensity on defense. You saw it. Tommy Stevens and Garrett Schrader had no time to throw. Tennessee had struggled with the pass rush all season, quite frankly. They haven't been able to get pressure on the opposing quarterback. I mean, they did against Chattanooga, but it's Chattanooga. It's a game that they should handily win. And they obviously they did. They won that one 45 to nothing. But, you know, coming out against Mississippi State at the end, you know, you had some Voices in the pro because when Jared Garantano checked back in, of course, everyone's like, oh, well, here we go again. I saw heard some groans in the crowd, even through the thick pane of glass that separates us in the press box from from the rest of the stadium. But he, you know, he threw the ball well, six of seven, 106 yards and that late touchdown to Tyler Bird at the end. It was impressive to see him come out there and help them win. Of course, Jeremy Pruitt's going to be the player's coach and say, yeah, we knew he was going to help us win games. Yeah. 
I, you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking, if I really think about it hard, I don't think that they had any plans of putting Jared Garantano back in the game plan full time because he's clearly regressed since last year. And Brian Maurer, obviously, I think is the right choice going forward, but it turns out he had a concussion, couldn't go for the rest of the second half, and Garantano was able to pull it out at the end. And honestly, if you're a Tennessee fan, you can't ask for anything more because, like I said, they're going on the road now as a 35-and-a-half point underdog, and rightfully so. It's not going to be easy to try to even score points, let alone come out with a victory at Bryant-Denny on Saturday. Yeah, so, yeah, moving forward into this matchup, what what's kind of the feel on campus? What like you know from the practices this week? What what's like? Because you know you, you Jeremy Pruitt had to weather a storm, and it seems like it is being mm-hmm. weathered as of now, and you know building some momentum. What what's the feel around campus? Well, I gotta tell you honestly, it's a it's a you know the third Saturday in October, like Pruitt said on Monday, it's a special event. I mean, of course, the results have it's been twelve straight victories for Alabama. But at the same time, it's oh, I mean, Tennessee fans have always looked forward to it, even though they know that the inevitable beatdown is coming. It's a, I think it's pretty much become a an acceptance around campus. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt was, and I'd say he's pretty in a lighthearted mood. I remember uh, one of the final questions that was asked of him. I I forget which reporter asked it, but uh, he uh, they're like, you know, I know you don't want to give away your game plan, but give us a few. Like, could you give us a few insights? And he. Uh, Named uh, this high school and uh, this high school in Alabama, somewhere in Alabama that does has this unique style of play where they uh, I forget there's a few plays on special teams they run the same time and he actually you know got around to cracking some jokes and stuff and you don't really see Pruitt crack jokes with the media I'm not gonna say he hates it but he's an old I mean he's an old school guy he just wants to come in and go to work and coach football he doesn't love addressing the reporters his opening statement at SEC Media Days ran twenty. 20- want 22 minutes and you only get 30 minutes with each coach so he only made it to where he had to answer eight minutes worth of questions so if that tells you how Pruitt feels about the media I mean I don't know what else does but the mood on campus I think there's an acceptance that this is not going to you know this isn't going to be pretty this isn't going to definitely not going to be perfect from the Tennessee and they're just hoping for a few strides like they had against Georgia I mean last year it was 58 21 maybe this year can be 58 23. You know, that's um, they're, they're just hoping for a little bit of improvement to, you know, give them some hope because at the same time they captured momentum. But, you know, you can't, you, when you compare Mississippi State and Alabama, it's almost like comparing a gourmet five star restaurant to McDonald's. You know, you just, that one doesn't overcome the other, especially overnight. So it's going to be a long process before Tennessee can be competitive in this rivalry again. But students around campus have come to accept it. I'm not saying that there's not people on there that are aren't delusional and think Tennessee can somehow come out with a win, but at the end of the day, people, the rational fans around here, know what's coming. They're just hoping for a little bit of improvement from last year. And honestly, if, if I'm a Tennessee fan, that's all I can ask for at this point. And you and you bring up uh, Jeremy Pruitt's quote about doing all onside kicks, no punting. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he so he was referring to Pulaski Academy in Arkansas, which is crazy. They they've won multiple state championships in a row through this philosophy, and I, I thought it was funny too. That caught me off guard when I was following some Tennessee to reporters, and they were tweeting it out, and it went viral on SEC Network, I think. But it uh, did. yeah, he was like, he's like, the game plan is we're not going to give Alabama the football. 
Exactly. I mean, I was honestly, I, like I said, I'm at the front row of every one of those press conferences. I was shocked because usually you don't have, usually when you laugh at a Pruitt press conference, it's because he gives a smart aleck answer to a question or to a reporter that he doesn't particularly like. But this time he was actually smiling and, you know, being lighthearted with it. So I think we're seeing a side, I think we're seeing him come out of his shell a little bit there. And I think that's encouraging for, for Tennessee fans to see going forward because, I mean, he even admitted the other day he's an emotional guy, but if you catch his screenshots from his coaches' shows, he's sitting there with a blank stare on his face acting like, I don't even want to be here. So I think this seeing Pruitt come out of his shell has been a little bit more of a relief for Tennessee fans. And honestly, it's, I mean, at this point, when you're 2-4 and four in a season where you figured maybe you'd be above 500 right now, it helps ease the tension a little bit. And I, and I think he's more lighthearted this week a little bit because of the familiar, like the familiarity with Alabama. You know, he, he's he's free, he's coaching Alabama. He went to UA. It's just you know he, he's he's seeing both sides of this rivalry, and I think that's mm-hmm. really. Oh, it's very unique. I mean, you don't usually meet someone that's experienced one of the most historic rivalries in college football from a player standpoint. Then to come back to his alma mater, who he played at, coach with them you know, have one of the best defenses in college football, win national championships, and now he's on the other side where Tennessee hasn't been, you know, haven't been in championship contention since the Philip Fulmer days. And you can even argue the what, last few years under Philip Fulmer didn't go as, you know, quite up to his standards. But it's, yeah, he even said it. it's a unique point of view, and it's definitely something that I've been looking to explore this week. I even uh, wrote a piece on it uh, yesterday because it was one of the things that he talked about most at his press conference was how he's experienced this from every single possible point of view maybe if he could go back in time and become a Tennessee player before he went to middle Tennessee and transferred to Alabama he'd have every point of view but obviously you know no one's invented a time machine yet so we can't do that so let's talk about the matchup what does Tennessee have to do to keep this somewhat close uh keep Tua and the offense off the field as much as they can I think that's a Pruitt hit that right nail on the head I mean Tennessee's if you look at their offense they have a they have a tremendous t- core of receivers with Jawan Jennings, Marquez Callaway, Josh Palmer, even some of the younger guys that are able to come up and make plays. But at the same time, they have a trio of running backs capable of doing of making da- of you know causing damage. But they just haven't quite done that. Tennessee's right now they average 146.3 rush yards a game, which is 86 nationally. They were averaging around 170, 180. I mean, well, three of the four of the I mean. The majority of their games, they haven't gotten over 100 yards, which is honestly shocking. Jared Garantano was no runner, but when you have Ty Chandler, Tim Jordan, who's now healthy, and the freshman Eric Gray, who's shown he can be elusive coming out of the backfield, you figured they would produce more rushing yards. But honestly, at the end of the day, if they want to keep this one any what somewhat close throughout, keep Alabama's high-powered offense off the field. Because as we saw last year, they can go, I mean, against anyone. They can take it down the field and score within a minute, two minutes. Whatever you can ask for him, because Tua is so dynamic and so complete as a quarterback, and not to mention there's players at the skill positions. You can't overlook them either. Pruitt had a quote yesterday there on Monday that I think you agree with that there's not many NFL teams that could rival Alabama's receivers, quarterback tandem. It's just off the charts. And if you're Tennessee, you just got to keep the look, keep those guys on the sidelines as much as possible. Yeah, and, and, and I'm interested to see, because, you know, Tua, and after Alabama, after they beat uh, Texas A&M last week, one of the big things was talking about the slant routes, and Tua was like, you know, it, people keep saying, stop doing it. Well, how about you stop it? So I'm interested, because Tennessee's secondary is not to be overlooked with Bryce Thompson back there, but I, 
I'm interested to see how they stop these go routes, how they stop these slant mm-hmm. routes, and if they can if they can hold these receivers. I, th- I think that's going to have to – you know, if they make Alabama run the football, then I think the Volunteers might have a little bit of success there. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that one because, I mean, even looking at the numbers, Alabama averages about 171 rushing yards. But when you have that, dy- that much of a dynamic QB receiver, and it's not even just with one receiver, with all of them. And like you said, Bryce Thompson's not to be overlooked. They did lose uh, Trayvon Flowers is uh, out for the season. He's had a, he had a broken ankle. He made one of the interceptions last week. Elante Taylor obviously had high hopes coming into this season. Hasn't quite lived up to them. We'll see how he does on Saturday. But it's going to be a really big test for Tennessee's defense. And honestly, I mean, if they want to find a way to rebound and come, become bowl eligible, you take this one on the chin. Then you have to come back and you have to try to win out. You have to try to beat South Carolina, UAB, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. But if you can try to find a way to at least keep up with Alabama at some point during the game like you did against Georgia, as we saw, the confidence carried over and they beat Mississippi State. So you never know. And I know it doesn't really help the Tennessee side of things that the game is finally a night game in Bryant-Denny, 8 o'clock, with their mm-hmm. Alabama's going to unleash their new LED lights. And just a, 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 like it's a, it's a fresh atmosphere in Bryant-Denny. And it's it's gonna be it's gonna be wild, but I know you mentioned some guys. Who are some who are some imp- other impact players who you think for the from the Tennessee side of things that could that could change the game? Well, Daryl Taylor is gonna have to have a big game. He's uh, one of the uh, linebackers that generates the most pass rush. He plays the Sam slot usually, but he's gonna have to have a big game. They're gonna have to their front seven. Honestly, if I could pick, I could pinpoint one player aside from Daryl Taylor. It's got to be him and Daniel Batuli because their linebacking core linebackers haven't they haven't been as consistent as you would like to see from a group that's you know because Henry To'o To'o will not be available for the first half and he's one of their better presences linebackers so they're going to rely on Quivaris Crouch who filled in you know relatively nicely but you'd rather have your freshman phenom man against a offense as stout as that and high powered as Alabama's but. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to be up to Tennessee's front seven to try to stall Alabama's run game, maybe just make them throw it more, try to get some pressure on Tua, which is really hard for any tossing defense at this point. But, at the, you know, at the end of the day, if you can create some pass rush, you can stifle their run game a little bit, maybe get them off the field on third down here and there. You give yourself a chance to keep it close a little bit early. Now, you know, of course, I think they're going to end up overpowering Tennessee because the talent differential is just – off the charts in terms of this matchup. I mean, it's trying to match up with Alabama's talent. I think there's only probably a handful of teams that can do that. So at the end of the day, Tennessee is just Daryl Taylor's going to have a big game. You know, you want Juwan Jennings to have a big game just so Tennessee can keep the chains moving, maybe get Marquez Callaway over the top a few times because he struggled to be consistent this year like a lot of Tennessee fans had expected. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to rely on that defense to try to make some plays, and we'll see if they can – create some negative plays, maybe force a turnover, because that's one thing they've struggled with. Even, I mean, coming into Mississippi State, that's one thing Pruitt had preached is that they couldn't create negative plays and couldn't get turnovers. So we'll see if that momentum carries over to next week. It would be an encouraging sign for Tennessee fans moving forward if it does. I'm interested to see when Tennessee has has the often, has the ball on offense, how they how their offensive line matches against Alabama's growingly in improving defensive line. You know, the, the, they, Alabama's been playing their de, de, one of their defensive linemen, Christian Barmore, a lot, and he really made an impact on the A&M game. The Alabama defense had five sacks against A&M. And, I, and mm-hmm. I'm interested because, you know, Tennessee's got a really standout tackle in Trey Smith, and I'm interested to see that matchup. Oh, yeah, Trey Smith, he's uh, was co-offensive lineman of the week. He's 
after those two blood clot scares, you know, honestly, I thought he should never play again, but they obviously found a plan with uh, some of the best doctors in the country to where he can play a high amount of snaps, and he's pretty much pretty much played the full, you know, every snap in the past few weeks now. So that's been a very encouraging sign because Trey Smith can pancake almost anybody. And like I said, they're going to need him and they're going to need a whole lot more help than that. Because like you said, Tennessee, they have talent on the offensive line. It's just been a struggle to try to mesh consistently because they've given, I mean, Jared Garantano last year was running for his life. And, you know, if we look at the offensive line this year compared to last, you don't know if it's improved by that much. But having Trey Smith back out there is definitely a positive. And we'll see how he matches up there against uh, the Crimson Tide Stout defensive front because, like you said, I mean, they only give up they only give up 133 yards in the ground. That's Tennessee's bread and butter offensively because they just haven't had a you know consistency at the quarterback position this year. And as you saw with Brian Maurer, even before he got hurt on Saturday, he made some freshman mistakes, you know, trying to force the ball into Juwan, double-covered in the end zone throwing across his body into the end zone to try to get to Josh Palmer. You know, they're easily intercepted. We'll see how he uh, responds from that on Saturday, but it'll be, it'll be a good test. Even if it's one of those games where they just, you know, get brought back down to earth, it'll be a good test. And I think it'll end up benefiting them in the long run. Lastly, you mentioned the quarterback uh, position at Tennessee, Brian Maher right now. And I saw on Twitter, the, this is one, this is on Tuesday, him taking some reps in practice again. Is he going to be a go? On Saturday, do you think? Well, I think he will be. Pruitt said on uh, when we asked him on Monday, apparently he was back taking reps at practice on Sunday uh, for the just the day following the game. So, yeah, I, I would if I was in if I was uh, looking at it from an Alabama standpoint, I'd expect to see Brian Maurer out there under center. And if he's not, I definitely would be uh, licking my chops because Jarrett Garantano this year has he's I mean, he's not as mobile as Maurer. So that makes him an easier target for the pass rush. And he's been very off on a lot of his throws. You see him make a nice throw here and there, which is the frustrating part. But then most of the time you see him, like against Florida, he had Dominic Ward-Anderson wide open for what probably could have at least gotten the red zone, or if not six, overthrew him badly. But I expect to see Maurer under center. I don't, I'd be surprised if uh, another development came out of that. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Corey, for hopping on here, just talking about the matchup, allowing Alabama fans to get familiar with Tennessee this weekend. Thank you again, and look forward to a great game on Saturday. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Call me back anytime. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. And that was the third Saturday in October edition of the All Things Bama podcast, which is powered by BamaCentral.com. For Kerry Clark, Corey Sanning, I'm your host, Tyler Martin. Have a great weekend.